Hey all you polar nerds, this is You're Gonna Die Out There. Welcome back. Welcome. We are so happy you're here with us again, or for the first time. I'm Megan. I'm Jen. And we're going to tell you some stories about the wild and wacky world of nature. (laughs) So Megan, yes, I actually have a little correction, or actually more of an addition for our last week's story. Uh, One of our listeners wrote to us. She mentioned a pretty big story that I I had missed it. I didn't see it. Um, It happened in Oregon in 2006. And talk about getting snowed in. Mm-hmm. So a family of four, James, Katie, and their two daughters, Penelope, who was four, and Sabine. I think that's how you say it. Sabine. They had Thanksgiving in Seattle mm-hmm. and they were driving, I think they're from San Francisco area, and they were driving back and they decided that they wanted to stay at Gold Beach. The weather got bad. They were just north of Grants Pass off Interstate 5 and they took a weird windy road, which I'm just going to say like even in 2006, we had cell phones but the gps was not great yet uh, yeah no. i mean not long before that we were still using i mean we were just using maps map quest yeah you would print your map quest right. and then if it got you got off track then you were just kind of screwed and then you mm-hmm. had to look it up on an actual like atlas map so we all had the like triple a map map folded yeah. that you can never fold back exactly never. the right way never yeah so they accidentally went on a route that took them along this area called bear camp road and normally it would be closed and mm-hmm. it should have been but for some reason it was open and they went along and it got windy there was snow got bad and they got stuck they were in a 2005 sob so anyway they got stuck there and the husband decided to try and go walk and get help mm. so what happened is nobody was really looking for them right away because they knew they were going to stay at this lodge and like have some family time on their mm. way back but when it did get to be too long james parents Mm -hmm. sent out people to go search for them this was they disappeared on november 25th and they were found on december 4th like the search and rescue sent out helicopters and they found katie waving an umbrella and like outside the car Mm. so they had seen tracks and they kind of followed that got her got the kids but the husband wasn't there and they found him two days later in a canyon on a creek he had died oh yeah he had walked more than 16 miles he had hypothermia. He was, you know, he just couldn't starving. go on. Yeah, really, that was a real sad one. And I guess um, it was pretty big news, obviously, because there was mm-hmm. a big search and rescue in 2006. And well, I know why we didn't hear about it. Yeah, and that's <laughs> that's kind of what I mentioned to our listener. I I did respond and said, well, yeah, during that time, I mean, we left in 2004 mm-hmm. for Peace Corps, so I know for sure that we weren't getting any big news. And I was way out on some islands like I didn't have a clue what was going on in the world. I think the most news that we got was like when people would go through Guam and bring Us magazine. Yes. Back to some sort of terrible magazine. But even, you know, when the tsunami hit in um, 2005, the one that hit India and Sri Lanka and Indonesia, Indonesia. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. Yeah, because you were out. I out. was out, out. And I remember hearing about it. Yeah, I mean, it was a huge deal. Yeah. I knew nothing. 
I remember us talking about what would happen to you guys on like the way out islands if there were a tsunami and someone was like, maybe you told us you just like string some rope between some trees and hold on. And I was like, is that a joke? (laughs) I don't think that was me. But I had heard of people climbing trees and just holding on. Right. Yeah. If there was a big wave there had there was a story of a wave that washed over the island because the island i stayed on was really skinny like you could stand in the middle and see water on both Both sides sides. yeah and there was a story of that but they have some big reefs out there and it didn't they weren't usually affected by that right but anyway so sad for the kim family i'm glad that the wife and the kids were rescued Mm -hmm. and he just did all he could to they and they said the rescuers when they went into this canyon and found him they could they kind of relived what he had gone through to go Mm -hmm. in the freezing water and in the canyon and it was they said it was just brutal don't take shortcuts but hey thank you for the story i i wish i had seen this one if you guys have stories or ideas or thoughts we love to hear that stuff we love your feedback just send us an email or write us a message on instagram or whatever oh you know i had put a thing on the instagram um asking what people would have on their dashes for your story oh right 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 (laughs) And one of the things someone wrote, oh, man, I forget who it was. I'm so sorry, uh, wrote uh, a CB. And I'm like, yes, yes, that's what I and I was thinking about this friend of mine I grew up with and how her parents always had a CB radio any oh, my, trip that we had. My grandma always had, had one. It. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, genius. Why don't people still have those? I don't know. I feel like they were really popular for a period of they time. Were. And and they were. And you could talk both. to all the truck. You could hear all the truckers yeah. chatting. Do kids still do that? Like do the horn honking thing when they pass a truck on the road? I mean, I haven't been yeah, I haven't been there. in a place where people would do that. I mean, people don't do that kind of stuff in Hawaii. You don't use your horn ever. Yeah. Um, but that was like the thing when you went on road yeah. trips was to like get them to honk the horn. And I'm just wondering if kids still do that. The last time I was on the mainland was 2014. We were in the car. Yeah, my son was like five or six uh-huh. at the time. And we, we, you know, were driving from Atlanta to Pennsylvania. And we drove and there was like a truck that went by. And I remember us trying to get him to do the little thing. And I, I vaguely remember that the horn did toot. Of course. I think yeah. they still love it. Oh, for sure. But I just think now kids... Kids are like look, looking at tablets and phones and mm-hmm. things and maybe not because all we had to do like I had all my toys and I of course I wasn't wearing a seatbelt because seatbelt and I was you know like playing like any car behind me I was like look at my Barbie and this is my doll and you see it and I would like be you know, like looking at them all weird and playing with my dolls and they would like speed up and pass <laughs> like, poor like kid creepy kid a creepy kid and then yeah but any truck that went by I was like hey. <laughs> was blow your heart (laughs) they did they always did i was afraid of truck drivers because of large marge i wanted to be a truck driver because i watched Smokey and the bandit oh and he he, the guy they had like the dog and they they just went around and they like outsmarted the cops and everything and i was like uh that's the job for me Mm -hmm, just mm -hmm. cruise around with my dog outsmarting the cops (laughs) honking my horn like what better job yeah absolutely yeah freedom it's freedom of the road if you were an australian volunteer a jica volunteer japanese uh volunteer like any kind of volunteer organization not a volunteer at all or just a nature lover yes with a crazy story or it doesn't even have to be that crazy Just just tell us a story we'd love to share it with all of uh all of the other listeners yep because everybody loves other nature stories 
It's the truth. If you've ever been trapped in the snow or in the desert, let us know. Or the snow in the desert. Did you have to drink your own urine? Oh, God. Did you eat some snow? Both bad choices. Or yellow snow. The little combo. (laughs) (laughs) Let us know. But um, yeah, we appreciate those stories. And we appreciate, uh, we've gotten a lot of feedback lately. And it's been really cool. We appreciate it so much. That's been super great. Yeah. So if you do want to give us some feedback in a really awesome way, you can always go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe. Like, rate, review. Yep. Do all those things. All the things. Share with a friend. If you do give us a review and you just really want to have a sticker, you can email us and we'll send you one. Cool. So Jen, do you have some sweet nature news for us this week? I do. I have this. It's actually, um, I found this story um, a couple of weeks ago and I probably should have put it in one of our earlier episodes because it has to do, it's in Australia. Wait, is this another uh, crocodile story in Australia? No, (laughs) no, this is so cool. In the last episode i'd mentioned you know never have flamethrowers or any kind of fire right anything anywhere yes especially near any forest and just be very responsible of that because it's so terrible this is um an article i saw i found it was talking about the book called flames of extinction by john pickerel from 2021 he's the bureau chief for nature Oh, the magazine, Nature. Yes. The journal. The journal, yeah. So he's currently the Asia Pacific Bureau Chief. So cool. He's an award-winning journalist. He also did a book called Flying Dinosaurs and Weird Dinosaurs. Are those kids' books or those like regular? That sounds kind of cool. They sound pretty cool. I don't know. I have to look it up. This is a story on how one of Australia's rarest trees was saved from wildfires. When we talk about trees, we're just kind of like, yeah, I mean, there's a bunch of trees and, you know, all this stuff out there. But this tree, is a living fossil. So this tree is actually called the, and I might say this wrong, and I apologize to all of our Australian (laughs) listeners out there, but you know, you know it's hard. Quokka. Yes, quokka. We love them. (laughs) It's called the Wollemi Pime. It's W-O-L-L-E-M-I. And it's a conifer that can grow up to 131 feet. Jeez. Real high. Unusually arranged dark green foliage and bubbly bark. And it once was found across the supercontinent of Gondwana and provided shade and sustenance for the dinosaurs. Shut the front door. Prior to September 1994, they never even knew that this tree was, they'd only ever found fossils. And there was this National Parks and Wildlife Service field officer, David Noble. He was um, exploring in one of the canyons and he stumbled across this plant, this tree. And he couldn't match the leaves with anything. He couldn't figure out what was going on. And that's when he um, took it to a botanist at the Blue Mountains Botanic Gardens. And they described the species in 1995 as Wolemia nobilis in honor of noble, Mm. which is pretty cool. That's When you find something, you get to get it named after you. (laughs) The discovery of this living plant, it was very significant because it had a heritage spanning 200 million years. Jesus. Yes. And so it's been around since the dinosaurs. Couldn't believe they had found it. So now they had only found about 100 or so of the uh, mature trees remaining and it was spread over four small groves in the Willamette National Park. And the majority are wedged in this kind of one like sheltered um gully in the mm-hmm. middle of the wilderness and it's one of the you know like they said the oldest one of the oldest and largest pines they called it what is it in fern gully jen <laughs> oh no 
I loved that movie. Oh my god. Anyway, so it's one of the one of the oldest and largest pines. They call it King Billy. Oh, that's fun. Which, if you say it with an Australian accent, it's probably way cooler. <laughs> nope, can't do can't it. Do it yeah. <laughs> anyway, so King Billy, and it's thought to be about a thousand years old. That's amazing. So imagine when all the fires started, Shit. you know, just taking, running through all the forests yeah. and they were panicked trying to stop mm-hmm. these fires from wiping out the last hundred of these ancient trees. That's what the book is about. It's about how they save the trees from the fire. It was so close, like so close. I mean, people were risking their lives. Mm-hmm. To save these trees. I just thought it was a really cool story. And you can read more about it in his book. But I just thought, wow, you know, they discovered these trees like what, 1994. And they, you know, they just found out it's like yesterday in essentially, yeah, in the the history of the tree. It was like a second ago. It was like, yeah, a second, (laughs) half a second ago. And how much these people have spent their lives protecting the trees you know, Mm -hmm. caring for them and essentially saving them from a fire. And I mean, a a lot of species, a lot of people risk their lives to help save, you know, the different species that were injured or run out of the forest because of the fires. We were all watching it. Oh, it was for sure. Crazy. Yeah, it was so crazy and so sad. And good job to everybody who worked on this. And I just thought it was a cool story. That's great. Yeah, yeah I really like that, Jen. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. That's pretty cool. But I, like I know it. that your story this week is going to be a cold one. And I'm so excited because I know you're so excited. It is a cold one. Uh, hence the polar nerds. Yeah, I'm super stoked about this story. And I'm going to tell you that first we're going to talk about polar bears. Oh, I know. Love them. A little bit sad. A little bit sad. Because I was thinking about the polar bear the other day. I originally looked up my search words were polar bear attack, but not like I wasn't looking for humans. I was kind of like thinking about polar bears and as in like a polar bear getting attacked. Right. And this book came up and it's called The Loneliest Polar Bear, A True Story of Survival and Peril on the Edge of a Warming World. It's written by Cale Williams. I listened to uh, the first few chapters it is so good if you want to learn about polar bears and you want to really understand their plight uh this is the book to listen to to read and i can't wait to finish it's on audible it's on audible yes i i did get it on audible sorry tell me the name again the loneliest polar bear a true story of survival and peril on the edge of a warming world oh it's like sounds really like i it is a little okay so you know there's like a couple different species of animals that really like tear your heart out a little one of them are the elephants and then Mm -hmm. i would say another pretty big one are the polar bears yeah so we're going to talk about them today the facts about polar bears and just so you know i'm not going to be talking about that book Okay. I'm just saying you should go out and everyone should go listen to it or read it or whatever. Mm-hmm. However you uh, consume information. Yes. Put on your headlamp. Yeah. Read a book. Put on your headlamp. Put on your headphones. <laughs> listen to a book. Exactly. You do you. You do you. Just learn some new stuff. Yeah, it's great. Just a little side note is that Kale Williams does a really excellent job of, like I said, giving those polar bear facts. Right. And tying them into this really lovely story about a baby polar bear born in captivity. Oh. I got some facts about polar bears today. I did not go back to Britannica because, and I hope I'm not offending anyone who loves Britannica, fuck Britannica. It was really hard to read that freaking article that, that like, I mean, it was like I was in fifth grade again and I could not put any information together. 
Right. I mean, I'm such a fact sheet person now. Yes. Like, give me bulleted lists. I right. don't have time to try to wade through your archaic language. Thank you very much. It's 2021. But you know what? Thank you, Britannica, for all your years of service. <sighs> all your years of service. And torture. Tor- just torturous. It's yes. like a ton of facts, but not the right facts or the ones that you really want. <laughs> I mean, good God. All right. Oh, uh, okay. So I got some stuff from wwf.org.uk. Fascinating Polar Bear Facts. I got some stuff from PBS.org, Nat Geo Kids. Thank you very much. That's the reading level I'm at, Nat Geo Kids. Uh, I love Nat Geo Kids. They're so good. Yeah. And they always have like fun little facts. Yes. And then polarbearsinternational.org, which is kind of like the ultimate in polar bear conservation. Okay. So let's start out with some facts. Are you ready, Jen? I'm so ready. All right. The scientific name Ursus maritimus means sea bear in Latin. Uh, They are called Nanook by Inuit peoples. Uh, They're also called sea bear, ice bear, isbjorn, which I think that's probably like Swedish or Finnish or Norway or something, right? I-S-B-J-O-R-N, like a Bjorn, isbjorn. White bear, lord of the Arctic, old man in the fur cloak, and white sea deer. It's a lot of different names. They are classified as marine mammals, Jen. They're the only bears to be classified as marine mammals because they spend so much time in the ocean. Mm-hmm. They depend up upon the sea ice and the ocean for food and habitat. They are actually black. I'm sure a lot of people know this, but their skin is actually black and their fur are clear hollow hairs that reflect light. We might have mentioned that in a pre- when we talked about grizzly bears. Maybe. Mm, I can't really remember. Either that but... or the Ada Blackjack. Or maybe, yeah. Did we talk about it in that one? We might I don't have. know. The reflection is what makes them pure white and that helps them with camouflage under their hair there is a four inch layer of blubber here we are again in the arctic talking gotta about have a blubber yep uh, that helps with insulation and keeping them buoyant in the water when they are swimming and they swim a lot yes. unfortunately now they're swimming more than they should be but they can swim up to six miles per hour for a long time sometimes days to get from sea ice to sea ice where they are hunting Mm -hmm. Uh, They have webbing between their toes to help with paddling in the water and they use their back legs. They kind of like stick them out flat Mm -hmm. and use them like rudders to like direct themselves through the water. Wow. Which is, I think about that, it's kind of cute. I wonder though how vulnerable they are in the water versus on land. So polar bears are excellent swimmers. There is a myth out there that orcas eat polar bears, but that is a myth. Okay. Um, now, I'm just wondering if there's any predators or if they're, they just, they're just so big, I guess. In all of the articles that I read, there are no predators to polar bears. The only predator, if you will, would be man. Humans. Well, yeah. we're the ultimate predator. They have fur on their paws that helps to keep their paws warm on their little tootsies. On well, that little huge tootsies. Mm-hmm. And uh, it also helps with traction when they're walking on snow and ice. And they also have uh, papillae, which on your tongue, mm-hmm. you have little bumps. They yes. have that on their paws that also helps with traction i know their paws are also really wide to help with weight distribution when they're walking across ice and of course they have nice sharp long finger needles or claws if you will finger needles finger needles i like that uh to help with all of their tasks such as walking ripping scratching yes polar bears need a ton of fat to maintain their body temperature about 4.4 pounds of fat a day so that's like 54 kilograms or 121 pound seal would provide about eight days worth of energy if you remember from our seal episode seals rely on pack ice or ice flows that ice that kind of like freezes and melts and moves around and stuff because polar bears love to eat seals it is their favorite 
favorite meal on the menu. Uh, they also rely on that pack ice. Uh, so even though polar bears spend time on land, especially during the summer months, they live predominantly out on the ice, following the seals, sometimes finding themselves hundreds of miles from land. They are opportunistic feeders, so really anything will do. And did you know, Jen, that less than 2% of their hunts are successful? Mm-hmm. So they spend like half of their life hunting for seals, uh, but only 2% of those hunts actually uh, come out with a seal. Wow. That's a lot of time. It's a lot of effort. So That's they... Very little return. Exactly. So they end up scavenging scavenging for food. Uh, they'll settle for birds, small mammals, eggs, and even plants. Obviously, plants don't have a lot of fat in them. Interesting fact, polar bear DNA can be extracted from a footprint and has been helpful in tracking bears. So climate change is the greatest threat to polar bears right now. With the sea ice going away, uh, oil and gas is also a huge threat with potential habitat destruction in terms of like building infrastructure for those like pipes or the actual drilling. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the real possibility of oil spills, because if there's an oil spill and a polar bear gets caught in it, when the oil coats the bears, it affects the ability of them to insulate themselves. All right. So also because sea ice is melting... And human development is encroaching on their habitat. Interactions between bears and humans are going up. And we have talked about the detrimental effects for grizzlies and also elephants and lots of other animals. Uh, When it comes to anytime you're interacting with humans, there's always going to be some kind of negative uh, for those species. So polar bears evolved from Asian brown bears 150,000 years ago. I think we might have mentioned that in the bear episode Uh, So at the time, it was kind of a warming time in the planet and a bunch of brown bears went up north and then there was an ice age and they got trapped in the north and then they started to uh, evolve into what they are today, polar bears. They were much larger at the time. They're smaller now, Um, but that's when they started adapting um, to have the fur, the like large amounts of fat Mm -hmm. and then the ability to uh, process so much fat in their diet because they're like the only bears who can like... I mean, that's a ton of fat and it's, you know, they're not eating a lot of anything else, really. That's so cool, though. They're also like really great in cold weather, like they thrive in it. Because of this evolutionary chain between polar bears and grizzlies, they can mate and have. uh, There's a hybrid called Pizzly, which really like of all the possibilities of combining that name, Pizzly (laughs) is what people came up. Like, why not Growler? Growler. That sounds way cooler. A Growler versus a a Pizzly. Pizzly? That just sounds like, come on. Sizzly. Mm. (laughs) Pizzly. Pizzly. Messed up. So usually a Pizzly will have a polar bear mom. I don't know why that is. Like, I don't know if it's just grizzly males are like more into polar. I, I don't know. Either way, usually if a Pizzly is born, its mom is a polar bear and they are raised like polar bears more than they are grizzlies. Their populations are dwindling and they are listed as vulnerable, 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 vulnerable. (laughs) They're listed as vulnerable by the ICUN and there are approximately 26,000 wild polar bears. They're divided into 19 subpopulations. Only one is increasing. Five are considered stable and four are in decline. And there are nine subpopulations who don't have enough data yet to be assessed. Pretty shitty. Uh, Polar bears are sexually dimorphic, meaning males are bigger than females. The males can weigh up to 100 kilograms. That's over 1,700 pounds. That's like 10 dudes. That's a lot of, that's a lot of bear. That's a lot of dudes. That's a lot of dudes. And they're two times the size of females. 
the males can also be up to three meters or 9.8 feet long. That's insane. They but are they're the, so cute at the same time. I know. So from crazy. a distance. From a distance. They're the largest carnivore in the world. And one of the adaptations they have developed while living in a cold, desolate environment is their sense of smell. Oh, yeah. They can smell prey over a kilometer that's half a mile away. And they can use the sense of smell to, to find seal breathing holes. So that's how they do their hunting is they find a seal breathing hole and they just chill. Mm, they just, just wait, wait for a long time. They're very good at patiently waiting, unlike my 12-year-old son. Pretty much anybody. And imagine like that's what you need to be a good uh, fisherman. Mm-hmm. They can also detect seals in the water as they're standing on top of compacted snow and ice. Wow. They're only found in the Arctic. There are no polar bears in the Antarctic. Some people, I think that's a myth as well, that they think polar bears are down there, but they are not. Uh, they're not aggressive about their territory, which I found to be interesting. They're pretty much loners, mm-hmm. um, except for when moms have babies or when they're mating, obviously. Um, and they don't mark their territory. They usually roam in relatively small areas in the Arctic. Um, they're also found in Alaska, Canada, Russia, Greenland, and Norway. Uh, they can sprint short distances at a speed of up to 40 miles an hour. That's basically how I am. I just sit around and wait, do and nothing, and then just expend a ton of energy sprinting. sprinting. That is not you at all. <laughs> 100%. I mean, I can sprint if I have to. Uh, Maybe on skates. Yeah, I'd, I'd give it to you on skates for sure. yeah they like to conserve their energy they are still hunters like i mentioned they just kind of like chill and wait for the seals Mm -hmm. um because when they're walking because they're so freaking huge and they're just like plodding along if you can imagine yeah Yeah. because whenever they're walking they expend 13 times more energy than if they were just sitting still so they chill out and wait so they conserve their energy Mm -hmm. until they can catch 121 pound seal (laughs) then they can eat for eight days they gulp it down like you know let's just get it done and then you know then they can do other things wow anyway females are the only ones who hibernate so males don't hibernate they typically i know i didn't even know they would hibernate at all right because they're winter bears yes yeah and the only reason females hibernate is to have their babies oh and it's not even really like a full-on hibernation it's like uh like i'm kind of hibernating like a just gestation yeah. period it's a, essentially that's what happens so they typically have their first litter when they're five or six um, and then they give birth every two to three years making them one of the lowest mammal reproductive rates out there oh boy mating season is march through may and they breed for about a week and then gestation is eight months, but they have delayed implantation, which I think we talked about some different forms of implantation with kangaroos, with marsupials. Mm-hmm. I don't know if we talked about it off record, and I'm just remembering it now while we're talking here, um... or if we talked about it on the actual Australia episode. But basically, maybe we were talking about quokkas? We were. Yeah, yeah, it was like, it wasn't marsupials in general, I don't think. I think right, we were just right. talking about quokkas. So they have a delayed implantation, which means that the blastocyst, so that's the thing before the embryo forms, right? Mm-hmm. Just like floating around in the in the uterus, in the womb, if you will, mm-hmm. of the polar bear. And it does that for like four months until everything is optimal. Until the mom is like, has eaten enough food and everything's good to go. Did we talk about it when we talked about the harp seals? Oh, maybe. I feel like we talked Mm. a lot about the reproduction of the harp seals. I feel like we did too. Yeah, Yeah. that might have been where we talked about it. Mm -hmm. But anyway, (laughs) if you didn't listen to those, now you're learning (laughs) about delayed implantation. Right. Basically, it's it's like the blastocyst, or at least the biology of the animal is like, listen, things got to be perfect. 
before I implant because they want to have the highest possible chance of a of a good pregnancy and delivery healthy baby all mm-hmm. that stuff that's amazing it actually then gets implanted and then another four months of gestation during that time if she doesn't have enough fat reserves or food then she won't mate before that even happens just heads she's up. just like she's uh-uh. gotta be she's gotta be fat enough she's gotta like yeah. she's gotta fat bear it up she's like i'm really not feeling good about myself right now right? um i'm just i'll come back next year i feel like it's the opposite of human ladies yeah or human anyone when we're like i need to lose weight like oh my god i don't want you to look at me naked but they're like i need to gain weight i need to freaking hyperphagia the shit out of this yeah gain I... about fifty thousand pounds mm-hmm. and then you can you know i get it don't in. have nearly enough blubber <laughs> to be getting it on with you right, right. now problems it's really for the species so she needs to gain around 200 kilograms or 441 pounds that's amazing to sustain both herself and her cubs throughout her pregnancy i also gained 441 pounds when i was pregnant (laughs) just kidding it felt like she didn't we all feel like that when we're pregnant man that was especially right at the end right you're like it's like i i remember don't understand my body right now you were pregnant after me and i was like you were like, oh my God, I'm getting so big. And I was like, you don't even know. You don't know until you don't know until it's like, like the eighth month. The, yeah. Like you're right at the end. And then you're just you're like, like, I can't get any bigger. But you do. But you do. You do. It just keeps going. And then you think you're going to just have a baby and then you're going to go back to normal. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> it's so depressing. Celebrities have ruined us. I know. They have. Anyway. (laughs) Cubs are born while the females are hibernating. Mm -hmm. Um, They can have a litter size anywhere from one to four cubs, but usually it's two. And they didn't say anything about twins. I I know with grizzlies. I always see them with like two. Right. And I was wondering. Okay. Yeah. And I know with grizzlies, we talked about twins. Because mm-hmm. your husband is a twin. And so we, I, they didn't say anything about twins in this case, but I would think Pizzlies probably. Polar bear moms with little half grizzly babies. Aw. I bet they're super cute. They are probably. Okay. Well, all, all little baby anythings are super cute. Mostly. Mostly. Yeah. Marsupials yeah. are a little creepy until they get bigger. <laughs> like true. the baby marsupials <laughs> look like little worms Ugh. or something. Yeah. All right. The baby cubs are born blind, hairless, and deaf. So that's fun. Uh, definitely 100% reliable on mom. They weigh around one pound at birth and are nursed to a weight of 20 to 30 pounds by the time they leave the den in March or April. But they still stay with their mom for -hmm. two years. Wait, so the mom is 400 pounds. Extra. She's got to gain 400 pounds. So how much is she total? Males weigh up to 800 kilograms. And that's two times as much as females. So females gain, I guess, as much to be as large as a male. Oh, sorry. That's kilograms. Males weigh 1,700 pounds. Jesus. Yeah. So the females... And they're two times as big as a female. So they are... So the females are around 800 pounds. Right. And they have to gain another four. So they're around 1,200 pounds when they are going to like yes. get it on. Yes. And they give birth to a one pound pup. Yes. I'm just saying. Like, don't lose it in the den. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, where is that pup? I know. And and was it the harp seal that they just, like, blasted out? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it like a one-second birth? Yeah. The harp seal. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't it? I'm trying to remember. Yeah, I don't know. And plus, the harp seal was, like, 12 days, and they were like, get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Yeah. Or three weeks or so. Yeah, like 12 days. It was, like, a like really that. short time. It was really short they spent with the mom. The mom just busts them out. Feeds them straight for like a certain number of days till mm-hmm. they gain like... And they're like, bye. <laughs> and then they're like, peace. Yeah. So I'm just thinking a 1,200 pound bear giving yes. birth to like a one pound pup. That's dangerous. That's just... I mean, it's just... 
Easy. Well, yeah. <laughs> like, she's like, <laughs> she's like, wait. There's like two. Did I just three? <laughs> I don't know. Did, I just felt something just, funny. This little just tickle. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> my goodness. I mean, good thing though, Jen. Polar bear moms are super attentive. Oh. They but... love their babies. They're Aww. all about it. Um, and they're super good moms. And the cubs, like I said, stay with mom for up to two years. Years, and she teaches them everything she knows. That's so cute. She I love on them. that they're what twenty or thirty pounds when they leave the den. Right. Yeah. I just think that would be the cutest, like oh. a little twenty or thirty pound polar bear. That's when right. you want to hold them, cuddle with them, be like I love you. And but you it. can't. But then the mom would Don't rip your head off your body. Definitely, because she's probably still like I mean at least nine hundred pounds at that point. I don't know how much she loses when she's nursing. I mean, Jesus, to get from one pound to twenty. I mean, I could do it in a week. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, once they're done hanging with their mom, they move out on their own. Like I said, they're loners once they get into their like, and they're two years thing. old, two years old. Okay. And then by the time the females are five or six, they mate. And then males, usually it's around seven or eight. Okay. A little bit older. Cause they're immature. Yeah. And they usually travel over a thousand miles away from where they were in the den. Wow. So they just like, peace, mom. They Aww. go to they go to college out of state. For sure. Mm-hmm. Well, she's busy getting some more babies. Well, that's exactly what's happening. Yes. Yeah, because it's been two years. She's like, goodbye. She's like, I got to go get I got to go get some more food. I got to yeah. bulk up. I got a hyperphage. Got a hyperphage. Yeah. If you guys don't remember what hyperfa- hyperphagia means, it just means she eats a lot. It's when you eat a lot before you're going to go hibernate, which we're going to make a t-shirt of that too. Gonna- this is the best part of polar bears. And you might already know this. Groups of polar bears are called celebrations. Oh. Because they are loners. You like never really see them hanging out together. Yeah. Right. But if there's like, let's say a huge whale carcass or something that mm-hmm. attracts them to one spot all together... Um, or like before they go out on the pack ice, they kind of congregate in certain areas while the pack ice is forming. Uh, they'll all kind of be around together. And that is called a celebration because it looks like they're coming to like a dinner party or a celebration. I love it. And they're wearing their formal white see, attire. See what's so great about being a scientist is you can come up with names of things. Right. Like, can you imagine the guy who came up with this or woman or non-binary person? They were probably like, oh, look at them. It looks like they're having a dinner party. It's like a celebration. Oh, my God. This we're going to call a celebration. Yeah. So and great. like, think of the story I just told about the guy who discovered those ancient trees. Yeah. When you discover a new species, mm-hmm. then they get you get to name it after yourself or somebody will name it after you. It's pretty amazing. I was part of the process of finding those blind snakes. Oh, yeah, that's right. And then they got sent to the Smithsonian and they hadn't been identified yet. But we ended up naming it something after one of the islands that was found on names. That's cool. That's cool. I'm I'm okay with it. Whatever. (laughs) Genus Coolius. Genus Coolius. Done. Done. I tried. I threw it out there. I put it on the table. I'm like, come on. I mean, you know. Okay, what's up? (laughs) Let's talk a little bit about indigenous communities and polar bears. Okay. The Inuit. You mean the human-animal conflict? Well. uh, Or we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we're kind of, I I basically covered as much as I'm going to cover. We're talking about indigenous peoples. Yeah. Uh, who rely on the Nanook or the polar bear for subsistence. Yes. Yeah, I thought I would like do a little highlight here. The Inuit. So there are a lot of different in- indigenous tribes who mm-hmm. hunt the polar bear and use all the parts for subsistence. And one of those are the Inuit or Inupiat folks, which we, we have talked about the Inupiat before when we were talking about Ada Blackjack. Yes. 
Um, and they call the polar bear Nanook. They consider the polar bear to be wise, powerful, and almost human. They are the most prized of all the animals that are hunted and have played an important role in Inuit life for thousands of years. Inuit and other indigenous folks still hunt the polar bear as part of a subsistence lifestyle, like I said, Mm -hmm. and long-held cultural traditions. I'm getting most of this information from the Polar Bear International Group, so... Uh, these hunts are now carefully regulated to ensure the bears are not overharvested. Subsistence hunters rely on polar bears for both food and clothing. The only part of polar bear that no one eats is the liver because it's super high in vitamin A and actually is so high in vitamin A, it's toxic. Wow. Yeah. So they've, I think um, they don't even feed it to, you know, like the dogs. Right. Because they will die. They just get rid of that part. They just get rid of it. The hunters pay respect to Nanook's spirit by hanging its skin in an honored place in their home for several days. I don't know if they still do this. It seems like it was a previous tradition, but also I don't know enough about it to say that they don't. So I thought that was kind of a nice, it's like a memorial, like a respect to this Mm -hmm. uh, being. Mm -hmm. And if the bear was male, the hunters would offer the bear spirit knives and bow drills. And if it was female, the hunter would offer knives, skin scrapers, and needle cases. Wow. So it was like a whole thing. Because it's like feeding more than one family. This is like a whole group of folks getting fed by this bear. Um, And then there's a legend that if a dead polar bear was treated properly by the hunter, it would share the good news with other bears. So they would be eager to be killed by that hunter. (laughs) Which I was like, whoa, that's... (laughs) That's kind of morbid, but uh, bears would stay away from hunters who failed to pay respect. So if you were a shitty ass hunter, if you were being a jerk, if you were disrespectful, if you disrespected the bear, I think this is what this is mostly about. Like, you know, don't disrespect the bear. Be a good hunter. Be mm-hmm. kind and you humane. know, humane mm-hmm. and use everything. Like, don't be a shitty hunter. Or else you'll, you won't get any. Or you won't get any. Yes. Because they're going to tell each other about it. I love that. Um, there's another legend that talks of a strange polar bear man or men who lived in igloos, walked upright, and were able to talk. In these legends, the bears shed their skins in the privacy of their own homes. Creepy. That's super creepy. But kind of cool. No. Like werewolves, but yeah. polar bears. So that's what I have on polar bears. Now, Jen, we are going to talk about Matt Dyer. Matt Dyer. Matt Dyer. Okay. Are you ready? I have a feeling he had a run-in with a polar bear. I stumbled upon this story in an article by Sierra, which is the Sierra Club magazine. It was just really interesting, and I wanted to share it. I am so excited. I can't wait to hear the story, because I know you've been excited for the last couple of days to tell this story. I have. Matt Dyer is a 48-year-old lawyer from Turner, Maine. Okay. And he works in legal aid at a place called Pine Tree Legal Assistance. I want to go to Maine. It's beautiful. I, we, we've talked about this before. Yeah, and I, I just want to go to Stephen King's house and be like... He's married to Jean Wells, and she is a poet and photographer, and we follow her on Instagram now. Oh, cool. I found I found her. Okay. I spent some time. I, we also follow Pine Tree Legal Aid. <laughs> legal oh, Assistance. I don't know. I was looking for him. He doesn't seem to be on Instagram. Oh, okay. But she is. Matt is has a ton of tattoos. All of them are like animals... Um, He has a big one on his back that's the Norse Tree of Life. He's super into nature. He considers himself a naturalist. Oh, cool. So, and he's a little older than me. 48 in 2013. Okay. He loves Norse myths and sagas. His ancestors came down to Maine from Newfoundland and Nova Scotia. Okay. So he has some like... 
Norse ancestry, and he's like right. super into it. Like I said, he has that big Norse tree of life on his back tattooed there. And in the summer of 2013, he signs up to go on a Sierra Club trip to Labrador, Canada. And he's like really stoked about it. Okay. July 22nd, 2013, he and a number of the other hikers that are um, they're on their second day of traveling through the Torngat Mountains, which is like this beautiful park. The area of the park is 9,700 square kilometers or 3,700 square miles. That's 2.4 million acres. Oh, wow. Yeah. Of National Park big, in the Torngat Mountains. It's very big. It's a mountainous terrain. It's freaking beautiful. If you have a chance right now... Go look at a picture of it. Where? It's in uh, northern Quebec. Northern Quebec. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, so it's between northern Quebec and the Labrador Sea. Okay. This park has a lot of protection for wildlife. There are caribou, black bears, wolf packs, two species mm-hmm. of fox, polar bears, peregrine falcons, golden eagles, and lots of other Mm-hmm. animals very cool and then they do wilderness oriented recreational activities so there's a lot of people who go hiking i don't know what scrambling is i'm assuming that's rock climbing and yeah. kayaking yeah. yeah so matt was super into it he loves it it's beautiful and it really this the whole like landscape fits into all the things that he likes about norse and nature and he keeps thinking about how that the norse sagas used to call this area markland or the new world so this is in 2013 2013 that he's going on this hike yes without his wife he just goes yeah he just friends he went or... with well it's there's like i guess sierra club Oh, you, you just sign up. You to can go. sign up to okay. go. So he doesn't really know anybody. You you apply to go on these trips. Okay. He loves also loves Inuit poetry, and he talks that he talks about how this area is sacred and refers to bears in the area as gods, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. He's just kind of like communing with nature, yeah, but also on this kind of hard hike. So right. anyway, that morning the group sees a mother bear and her cub. They're going across like a lower area stream. And it's like if a if a man or woman, if a human tried to cross this stream, they would probably drown and die. But he's watching this mom. She's like massive. What kind of bear? Polar bear. Okay. Mother. And she see and he sees the, you know, the bears going across and he's like, man, they're like super strong. Mm-hmm. They're just like taking the current. No big deal. Just mm-hmm. bobbing down, swimming right through like it's nothing. Right. Cutting through butter. Butter. Because that's how they roll. (laughs) And so, yeah, they're all kind of like staring, taking pictures, whatever. They're, of course, a respectful distance away, unlike our previous bear story. Oh, yeah. They keep their distance. That's a whole different story. (laughs) Because they're respectful of nature. They're just observing. And then the article that I read that I was telling you guys about, it's by this author, Jake Abramson. And he's a great writer. I really enjoyed this article. I'm going to have the link in our references, you guys should all read it. It's super good. I definitely pulled a lot, pretty much everything from that article. <laughs> and he writes, although he would have preferred the bears he'd seen to be a bit more afraid of humans, Dyer did not want them gone. They were part of being in tor- <clears throat> part of being in Torngat Mountains National Park, a place created at least in part for their protection, a place he found intoxicatingly moody. The wind would bring in fog from the sea, then quickly change direction, sending curtains of mist down the mountainsides and back over the ocean. It reminded Dyer of the mist at a cold and wet Pink Floyd concert. He would often glance up to find caribou on the hillsides, and on the beaches there were mossy columns of whale vertebra that looked to be a hundred years old. The ptarmigan had just brooded out their young. Entire families waddled right up to their camp. 
He had never been to a place that made humans seem so insignificant. A lot of living and dying on stark display, he often thought, in those first two days. It sounds amazing. He, like, paints a picture. And it's I, so I would beautiful. love to do something like that. For sure. Well, would you, though? We're going to find out. Okay. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. So let's rewind a few months. Matt had applied to go on this trip, and initially he was denied by the group leader, Rich Gross. Really? Yeah. Because he felt like Matt didn't have enough experience hiking in that kind of environment. Oh. Yeah. So you need to, like, have you need credentials. To be cred- yeah, you have to have credentials to go on these particular trips because they're very dangerous. That makes sense. And they're in remote areas, and mm-hmm. they want to make sure that everyone's cool. So, so they probably wouldn't let me do it. You're like, hey, I hiked to uh, this place in Guam. I'm like, look, I already, I, like, hike all the time. <laughs> Not even close. So Matt didn't, like, okay, well, I can't go. So, you know, he, like, really kicked it into gear, and he started training. And he later sends pictures to Rich and recounts all of the training he'd been doing in Maine and New Hampshire to prepare for the trip. And Rich changes mind and accepts Matt's application to join. Nice. And Matt ended up being the youngest. Really? So he's like 43, I think I said. How, is that what it was? 43? 48. 48. Oh, my mm-hmm. God. And he ended up being the youngest. Everyone else is like... Well, in their 50s. 50s, and, uh, 60s. Yeah. I'm assuming just really good hikers. and uh, Probably just... Uh, a wealth of experience yeah he ended up actually also being the fittest because of all the training he was doing Mm -hmm. he got super fit and his wife kind of talks about it later she was really happy for him his Mm -hmm. wife Jean. she uh describes him as being more of an at-home gardener and home brewer than anything else and like really dedicated to his work in legal aid when you think lawyer you're like oh but then legal aid like they're out there helping the community getting Mm -hmm. people you know not kicked out of their homes and yeah all that kind of stuff so yeah he's just seems like a really good person yes for sure so there's a quote in the article talking about um gene it says wells watched him each weekend as he loaded up his backpack with 50 pounds of water strapped on snowshoes and set off into the woods for a 10 mile training hike by the day he left he was fitter than he'd been in decades oh so that's cool yeah he was like really motivated so july 24th she's at home she's working on printing some photographs when she noticed she's missed three calls from an unidentified number and she's like that's super weird okay who could be calling me that i don't know then she thinks she's just kind of like thinking back to when she said goodbye to matt um a little less than a week earlier and that she had thought at that time to take a picture of him you know like as he's leaving because she might never see him again and it was like in her mind she was just thinking then she's like oh i'm so you know dramatic. well you know well you never know you when, never know when yeah the last person or the last time you see somebody so. exactly yeah so she was kind of like thinking about that after she yes. sees these missed phone calls and when she had come home after dropping him off she actually found a form on the printer describing the insurance coverage for his trip and was like super creeped out she was weird. like well this is super weird yeah like all right whatever just, just shakes it off goes about her business for the next week then she's getting these weird phone calls okay so the phone rings again and it's rick eisenberg he is a physician from arizona and he is on the trip with matt okay and he's saying this to her he's like hey my name's rick i'm a physician from arizona <laughs> blah 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 and she's like and she's oh, like God. uh okay and she's like oh wait 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 oh no what happened and he and rick is like there's been a polar bear attack let's talk about the previous night it's the night of july 23rd okay matt and the group are getting ready for bed and rich who's the team leader so rick is there he's that uh, the physician from arizona and uh-huh. then rich gross is the team leader he's the one who puts everyone together to go on this trip Mm -hmm. he's going over all of the worst case scenarios. I mean, this guy has been doing this for like 15 years. 
for the Sierra Club and he knows all of the procedures, but he still, you know, like emergency preparedness yes. is on his brain because he's responsible for all these people. Right. So he rechecks the whole campsite. There are six tents, two tight rows of three, and then they're surrounded by an electric fence because bears. Yes. Because as we learned in Grizzly Man, mm-hmm. you got to have an electric fence. Yes. It's about safety. So he feels safe. Everyone at the camp feels safe. He tucks his flare gun into his boot, which is right by his head where he sleeps, um, and he drifts off to sleep. And Wait, he's, this is Rich. This is Rich, okay. the team leader. Okay. He drifts off to sleep. As he's kind of falling asleep, he's reviewing the motions of like, if there were an attack, what would he do? You know, he's like, I would get out of my bed, pick up my flare gun, run outside, shoot the flare. Like, you know, mm-hmm. like this is how he would get the stretcher, all these things. So he's like uber prepared. Yes. A little after 2.30 a.m., He's woken up by the screaming of his co-leader, Marta Chase, and she's calling his name. Rich, Rich, bear in the camp. Right. He grabs his flare gun, leaps out of his tent, and about 75 feet away, he sees what he knows is a polar bear with a motionless body in its jaws. One of the tents is shredded up. He can see it on the side. The electric fence is on the ground, and it's like crackling, like sparky crackling. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Back up. One Mm -hmm. of the tents is... One of the tents is shredded and the electric fence is down oh, and crackling okay. on the, the ground. F- okay, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to picture it all. Okay, so the fence was crackling because it was electric. Yeah. But it just got busted. Just got busted. Oh, no. <laughs> so he aims the gun right in front of the bear's face. So he doesn't want to hit the bear. Mm-hmm. He wants to just fire the flare across the bridge of the bear's nose in to- front of its face to scare the shit out of it. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. So he's, I mean... Really good aim, gets it on the first try. The bear drops the body and takes off. And Rich is expecting the bear to fully, like, leave the area, but it doesn't. It stops a few yards away and, like, turns back around like it's going to go back. Like, oh, shit, I got to get this body. I need to get my food. (laughs) Oh, my God. So he fires another flare at the bear, again, in front of the bear. The bear turns and takes off, like, completely gone now. Right. It's like, all right, that's too much. So I'm imagining that it's taking off at 40 miles per hour. (laughs) Get the fuck out of here. (laughs) They wait about a minute because they have to. And Rich immediately knows that it's Matt. He's like, man, this guy, I said he couldn't come because he wasn't experienced enough. And now he's dead out there. Like Mm. he, he's just like, I know it. He's dead. Like, this is crazy. They run out to Matt and miraculously... That dude is alive. He's still breathing. His eyes are kind of like rolling around in his head. Mm-hmm. He's not really responding. Minutes earlier, Matt had been asleep in his tent. When around 2.30 a.m., he is woken up kind of startled by a giant shadow coming across the side of his tent. And I'm oh like, God. this is nightmare situation. Yes. You know, he had been going to sleep like thinking about the bears they had seen a bear later after like, they saw the mom so amazing they're so beautiful, so beautiful. look them. how safe we are we yes. have our electric fence we have our tents are super close together like yes. all this shit and then he's like oh i'm waking up because there's something walking by his tent and it's a fucking bear oh my god he screams immediately bear in the camp bear in the camp bear in the camp then the bear is biting his head through the tent because and i didn't mention this earlier but the way that bears attack their prey is by crushing the skull Oh, like that's how polar bears do it Mm -hmm. Um, because it's like the first thing to pop up, you know, when the seal Mm -hmm. pops up out of the water. So they're like really good at crushing skulls. Oh, my God. Yeah. So the bear is biting his head through the tent and he tries covering his head with his hands. But the bear just keeps trying to get at his head, like kind of like mouthing him. The polar bear ends up crushing his left hand almost completely. So it's like his head and his hand just crushed together. Oh, 
But I'm sure it saved his head from getting crushed. I mean, his, a little bit, sure. Yeah, yeah his yeah. hand was getting like, crushed Like, kind of instead. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which you would rather have your hand crushed than your than head. Your, than your head. Yes. For sure. Because your brain sure. is in there. You need it. So he's now screaming like, he's got me, he's got me. You know, mm-hmm. and, and then chaos is breaking out in the rest of the camp. Then he can tell he's getting tossed around. The bear's like, ah. Yeah. <laughs> like what, what my cats do when they eat their food, even though it's just <laughs> like dry food pellets. They're like, ah. <laughs> yeah. He's Ugh. just like shaking him around. The bear is holding Matt's head in his mouth and the rest of his body, he's holding it with um, his massive paws. So mm-hmm. the bear's kind of like pulled him up, mouth over the head, paws on the body. Like he's standing upright. A little bit. Yeah, kind of up. Matt can actually feel the bear's fur on the other side of the tent material. I don't know if it's with his other hand or with his body, but oh, he so can he's feel the fur. Still he's in his still tent in the tent. And being picked up yes. and tossed around. Ah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. At this I wonder if for the bear, he's like, what's in here? And he's just like, <laughs> whole, like almost like playing. Or like how... Or like how I feel when I'm trying to get a chocolate bar open. Yeah. Or when, yeah, when you're trying <laughs> to get some food out of a wrapper yeah. and you're like, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. Like I imagine for the bear, it was almost like it, like a weird. Ex- it's got to like be a fun weird in a way. Maybe. I mean, I'm wondering is he did he get electrocuted the bear and he's like what what's going on in this bear's mind anyway? I think the electrical fence was just like ow. Right. And then he just went through. It's like, whatever. Something just stung me. At this point, the bear is trying to get him out of the tent. So it's like kind of tugging at mm-hmm. him, like the head, like tug, tug, tug. He ends up like flinging himself backwards to kind of rip Matt from the tent. And oh it God. ends up working. And they both fall backwards together. Oh, my God. Poor Matt. Yeah, he's ripped from the tent. In the fall, one of his lungs collapses. <gasps> I know. Fuck. Bear... You know, clamped on his head, lung is collapsed. He also feels his jaw get cracked by the bear's jaws. Oh my gosh. I know. Now the bear is like taking off from the camp. It's galloping towards the water. Again, probably 40 miles an hour. With Matt? (laughs) With Matt in his mouth, his head in his mouth. Matt can actually clearly see the belly of the bear, like his bear chest. I don't know if it's a male or female bear. They never really say. bear (laughs) chest. Oh, fuck. (laughs) Mm. no i love those that's a a delicious pun (laughs) it's not bear jen has a lot of fur on it (laughs) super furry um luscious it's luscious well okay i have a question because we keep calling the bear him yeah i don't know it's not the mom okay so we're not not talking about the the mom yeah they saw another bear also that night okay later so i think they're thinking it was that one it was a male they saw like further up probably yeah but again, they never found out which bear it was. Okay. So Matt can see the fur on the bear belly just like undulating as he's a, like galloping. He's galloping with him and in his mouth. Wait, yeah. was his head still in the mouth? Yes. His head and hand are crushed in the bear's mouth. Oh my gosh. And, and his, bo- his body's like dragging? Or? Dragging. And the bear's just like... <laughs> the bear's <laughs> like, let's go. <laughs> let's go. We gotta and gotta he, start like, eating on you. <laughs> God, this poor man. And he kind of is like, you know, I, I can't remember if it, the author says it or he says it, but basically he's like, yeah, I'm like this big bony, weird seal, you know? Yeah. Like he's, again, opportunistic feeders. So he's like, whatever, let's go. So he's actually taking him towards the water. Matt can tell where they're headed towards. Right. And he's like, and he's he just realized, he's like thinking, you know, this is what it's going to do with the seal. It wants to get away from the camp. It wants to get away from everybody so it can eat. It wants to get to the water. And Matt's thinking all this. Yes. Ugh. This is what he said he's thinking. The bear is like booking it. 
super, you know, excited sprinting. Every breath the bear makes is rolling over Matt's face. He can feel the hot air and he smells, it smells like dead fish. Oh my gosh. And he thinks any moment, lights out, you're going to die. Uh-huh, for sure. He feels another bone crack in mm. his jaw and he says there's no pain. Just mm. He feels it crack. He just knows it's happening. And in the article, it says nature was kind to make the body like this. No pain in the final moments. I hope it's how everyone goes. He was thinking about his wife and his dad, who's a lobster man in Maine, mm. like a lobster fisherman. Mm-hmm. Um, he's thinking about when they would fish. Not a lobster man. Lo- <laughs> <laughs> like some sort of- he's a man made of lobster. <laughs> no, he, uh, yeah, has a boat. And he and his dad and his uncle would, would spend so much time fishing together and that it was he felt like it was kind of poignant that he was going to die in kind of this relation to the sea like a seal like how a seal would die well you, so i'm it. just thinking about you know thinking about in the grizzly man episode mm-hmm. how he was just ripped apart and the the girlfriend wasn't as bad i guess not as bad but definitely you know definitely bald yeah and dead and i'm just thinking you know he's kind of starting to experience that. the beginnings of what they yeah what was their demise yeah and the whole you remember there was a tape right because his tape Mm -hmm. was rolling but nobody ever listened to it or saw it or i guess some people did but no not to public yeah and it just makes me think how horrific like in his mind he must be like this is gonna happen it's inevitable yeah Mm -hmm. and the grizzly man already happened he knew about it yeah i'm sure and he's just like oh my god like this, this is real. This is real. Yeah. Holy shit. I can just imagine you're consciously thinking of all these things mm-hmm. like running through your head. And most people don't survive to tell the tale. He feels a wave of cool air coming off the water and pretty much is like he knew he was close to death. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden there's a flash and then he's laying on the grass um, and he's covered in bear saliva and it just smells like dead fish. Like Ew. just fishy, dead. Could be worse. Fish saliva. Yeah, it could be worse. And then he sees another flash go off because he had heard the bear kind of like galloping away. And then he heard heavy footsteps coming back towards him. Another flash goes off and he doesn't hear the bear's footsteps anymore. And then he's like, I'm going to pretend to be dead. But also at that point, it's not super hard for him to pretend to be dead because he can't move. Like he's he tried to move at some like when the first flash went off. But uh-huh. he like he was like, no, it's not happening. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I hope he's OK. Well, I mean, I know he lives, but I hope he's OK. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he lives. <laughs> I know, but he's kind of in and out of it. And during he doesn't know how much time passes. He hears people talking. He smells coffee being brewed. He remembers that. Then he starts having some weird ass dreams, which I can appreciate about being dressed like a merman and serving drinks to the mafia in Miami. That and was I'm his like, dream. That's amazing. That's wow. a great dream. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a dr- 100% a dream you would have had. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yes. He wakes up in a hospital and Jean is there and all he can do to indicate to her that he was attacked by a bear is growl. <laughs> like, I love arr! this guy. <laughs> I know. I love him. On the 27th of July, so he was attacked. And as his wife, she was like, I, she I got get it. it. I get oh, you. Oh, 100%. Yeah. She was like, like, I know it was a bear. Got you, hon. <laughs> He's going to turn into a bear. Yes. He's a bear. He's a bear man. So on the 27th, the hiking group comes to visit him. Rich, Rick, Marta, and the rest of the folks who were there. Wait, we missed the whole part. Like, are you going to talk about how he got out of there? Like, did a helicopter come in? Oh, my or- bad. Yeah, they put him on a stretcher and they got him to a hospital. On a helicopter or they had <laughs> they to hike him out? Uh, I don't think, I don't remember it saying. They actually didn't talk about that in the article. 
Oh, okay. I don't think they did. It was just kind of skipped real quick from, hey, we, you know, the, the guy, Rick, who is a physician, mm-hmm. basically tended all of his wounds. They mentioned that Lucky he... Lucky to have a physician dude, there. for real. And they mentioned that he didn't have a lot of uh, blood loss uh-huh. because it was mostly puncture, puncture wounds. Right. So the bear never tore at him or anything like that. Because he was trying to get him and carry him out. Yeah. I mean, I think right. that would be the next stage. Oh, yeah. So... Basically, the bear was just like, got to get him out of this. I got to get him out of this candy wrapper, this nylon candy wrapper. Yeah. And get him to the water. I got him out. Rip they, him apart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Take him over there and eat him. They don't really talk. I'm assuming that there were helicopters called. I'm because they're in a pretty remote area. Yeah, I would think yeah. so. That's the good thing about going with a group like that is they're very right. prepared for any kind oh. of problem Super prepared yeah so yeah. i'm sure they had all everything in line to for any kind of emergency to have somebody come out and, and get, get him yeah yeah for sure when they come on the 27th they all come to see him and see gene and um they're visiting talking whatever he's writing on a notepad because he still can't talk his vocal cords were like shredded and so because oh. i think the bear was like but he had like his whole head and his yeah it's hard for me to picture a bear like that big that it fits over your whole head. That's a big ass bear. Oh my gosh. Well, I guess if they're 1800 pounds. On the notepad, he's asking everybody, when's our next trip going to be? <gasps> <laughs> and they're like, oh my God. And Jean is like, what? He's like, um, never. <laughs> You're never leaving the house again. Yeah. All right. So all in all, uh, his arm and jaw are broken. He had a collapsed lung and a lot of puncture wounds. Mm-hmm. One year later, he's back in the Torngat with the same folks. He's serving soup for dinner. He has some issues like motor control issues uh, with his left hand because it hasn't fully rehabilitated. And he's he's got kind of a staticky voice because of the issues with his vocal cords. But he's got like a real thick Maine accent, which I can't do a Maine accent. But and then just, yeah, it's just it's like a smoke, maybe like. I'm thinking it's comparable to a smoker's voice. Right. Just raspy. Raspy. Yeah. Right. But he's super upbeat. So his jaw was broken. Mm-hmm. His hand. His hand was like crushed. Crushed. Yeah. Broken. Wow. So he can still use it. And then um, long. But it's like not very good. Yeah. So it, it didn't grab his. It was really just the head and just his hand. Head. Yeah. It's good his hand was there. I swear. I think yeah. it would have. Oh, I think I think if his hand weren't there. Yeah, you're right. It would just be crushed skull. Yeah, he may have died. Yeah. I'm going to read the end of the article because I really like it. And it's a great little story. Mostly it's them talking to each other. So it's good. Okay. Uh, Matt is doing the action here. Uh, he takes a dozen tiny polar bear figurines from his pocket and passes them out. So they're all sitting around eating soup together. Mm-hmm. This group. Uh, they are rubbery foam things the size of large beetles. They're all the same except for one whose mouth opens to reveal an LED light. And he gives that one to Gross, Rich Gross, Mm -hmm. the team leader. Rich, I got this for you. You brought me light when I needed it. So here's a little light for you. Gross makes a bashful face and clicks the figurine's mouth open and close. It's just like the flares that I shot. He wanders over to a tree and clicks the mouth a few more times, a huge dumb smile on his face. The little bear will go on his desk at work the prize and a collection of polar bear paraphernalia that he's received from friends and family over the past year. Rich, you are a hero, someone shouts. People are always saying, Dyer continues, that this person saved their life, that that person saved their life. I got people right here who really saved my life. He swigs from the bottle and laughs, and the wheezing, grateful, liquor-wet static crackles out over the mountains. Oh, Such a great article. What about Rick? I mean, I'm sure Rick got a bear. (laughs) I mean, he like, I mean, yeah, they both, yeah. Rich and Rick. Yeah. They did the thing. Yeah. 
Because, well, Rich got the bear away. So, yeah. Rich saved got the bear away. Rick like, patched him up, kept him yes, together. Yes, kept him alive to get yeah. out to the hospital. It's amazing. That's so cool. I love it that they all went back with him a year later. Yeah, and did a little little hikey hike. Like a memorial kind of, because I'm sure if you if they had already done that hike mm-hmm. the previous year, I'm sure they weren't planning to do the exact same one a year later. Yeah. But I bet they just wanted to because they wanted to take him back out. To see everything and yeah. Yeah. And I love that he still has uh, like an appreciation of nature and he's not scared. He just like got right well, back on that he horse knew, again. Yeah, he knew that he knew the risk going there. Yeah. He knew it could happen. I think what I love about it the most is that and because they're naturalists and they appreciate nature and all that stuff, but they're mm-hmm. not carrying guns no. or weapons to kill right. the bears or any just wildlife. To scare them. They just want them to go away. I love that there's no ill intent. They're going on their territory. Mm-hmm. They're in their habitat, their hunting grounds. You know, they know the risks. And I like these people a lot. Yeah. They're so cool. Well, I think and Sierra, brave. I feel like Sierra Club is like that oh, yeah. group of people who appreciate nature, spend a lot of time in it. Yeah, definitely. They're the people that would, of, of anybody that would. Respect. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Jen. So that is my story about Matt Dyer and his interactions with uh, polar bears. Mm -hmm. And I would like to talk about an organization that we should look at supporting. I mean, World Wildlife Fund also, as always, they have like an adopt a polar bear deal. So, you know, that's always an option. Well, and they just kind of cover everything. All the shit. You can always go to WWF and kind of find any species. We are so excited to tell you about one of our amazing sponsors, Who Gives a Crap? Premium Recycled Toilet Paper. Toilet paper, you say? How can that be bad for the environment, Jen? Well, actually, toilet paper is made from virgin trees, Megan. And we all know that no one should be out there sacrificing virgin trees. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of devil worshipery is this? But seriously, we all know this is bad for forests and the animals that depend on those forests. Also, it takes a lot of water and energy to process those sacrificed trees into toilet paper, along with bleach, formaldehyde, and other unfriendly stuff that is used to make your toilet paper strong and soft for your delicate tushies. Want to feel like you're helping the environment each time you wipe? Well, try Who Gives a Crap? They offer both 100% recycled toilet paper and... Premium 100% bamboo toilet paper. Mm, premium. They also have forest-friendly tissues and paper towels. The recycled toilet paper is made from post-consumer recycled paper like office supply paper and other home paper products. Don't worry, it's not made from used toilet paper because, ew. These are soft three-ply sheets made for a super comfy wipe. Like, it's really soft and supple for your nether regions. Who Gives a Crap is also one of the only toilet paper companies that comes in cute, plastic-free packaging. The toilet paper is wrapped in compostable, recyclable paper wrappers. The paper roll tubes are also fully recyclable and compostable, as well as the cardboard boxes used for shipping. And those colorful, fun paper wrappers can be upcycled in so many different ways. I've seen someone use it for, like, flower wraps. You can wrap birthday gifts. That's true. They're really cute. They're super cute. Yeah. So it like decorates your bathroom at the same time. And it's super affordable, Megan. You can get a box of 48. That's huge. 
That's a lot. They're all individually wrapped. And it can, if you have two people in your household, it can last you up to six months. So that's crazy. It's only a dollar a roll. And you also, if you go to their website and you subscribe, you get $10 off your first order. Sweet. Not that you need another reason to turn your bathroom into an eco-friendly paradise, but listen to this. Who Gives a Crap donates 50% of its profits to help build toilets in countries that have few to no toilets to improve sanitation for millions of people. The founders of Who Gives a Crap learned that 2.3 billion people worldwide, that is 40% of our population. That's crazy. In the world. They didn't have access to a toilet. It just seems so weird to most of us who do have toilets everywhere we go. Mm -hmm. But because of this, nearly 300,000 children under the age of five die every year from diarrheal diseases caused by poor water and sanitation. That's almost 800 children per day or one child every two minutes. Mm. Not okay. So they launched Who Gives a Crap in 2012. Since then, they donated almost six million to local partners in this effort. That's insane. Okay, nature nerds, it's on. To make your first Who Gives a Crap order, use the link on our website sponsors page at youregonnadieoutthere.com. There's one for the UK, there's one for US, and one for Australia. Mm-hmm. And by using this link, you go straight to the page that you can order from. And then you're also kind of helping us a little bit. Yeah. So get to wipe in. <laughs> <laughs> get to wipe in and feeling good about the environment. Yay. The organization that I would like to talk about is the Polar Bears International. That's Love it. At polarbearsinternational.org. Mm-hmm. It is the only organization dedicated solely to wild polar bears. We know polar bears, their habits, their ecology, their threats, and are recognized leaders in their conservation. Nice. So you can donate directly to them. They have a really good board of folks working with them. There are scientists working in conservation of polar bears and a lot of good folks up there doing some good work. That's my organization. And I don't know if we mentioned it in our, I know we talked about it in the episode, not the last one, but the one before that, Mm -hmm. that we were going to put all of the links to the organizations that we mentioned in our, on our um, episodes. Mm -hmm. So Megan did that. We did it. You did the thing. It's better if you open it on a computer, like on a, on the website. Yeah. Uh, rather than your phone, it kind of gets a little wonky on a small screen. Yeah, I don't know why. We tried to, we wanted to make sure that you guys could see the area of focus. Um, so like species or topic that we that we talked about, mm-hmm. then what episode corresponds to that area of focus, and then the link to that actual website Yeah. Um, for more information or like how to But if donate. you pull it up on a full screen, you can see it kind of like... All the way across. All the way yeah. across, but if it's on your phone, it kind of... It it's looks, all funky. Either way, it's there. They're all in one place. I mean, if mm-hmm. you really want to, you could just go to the episode and pull look it at up the there, but we, we tried to put it all in one place. So it's easier. That's so cool. So what can we, um, we'll, we'll donate to them. So they, they take just direct donations and then all of the donations fund the research and conservation initiatives that Polar Bears International is working on, which is all about wild polar bears. Awesome. So how's Matt and Jean? Are they like doing good today? Matt, it seems like Matt is doing good today. I didn't see any new information on him. If he's still working for the Pine Tree Legal mm-hmm. Assistance. Jean, like I said, is on Instagram. We're following her. She takes photography. She's a lot of nice pictures. And I kind of scrolled through and just to make sure it was the right Jean, <laughs> um, I was like looking for pictures of him in there, uh, like a stalker. And mm-hmm. I did find a picture of like a vacation they had a couple of years ago. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's him. Okay. 
<laughs> I was like, That's this so must random. be her. I know. Listen, stalker We're qualities. Not trying to stalk you. We just want to give you your proper credit. Yes. Where it's due. Yes. That's all. Because we think you're cool people. And it's such an amazing story. Mm-hmm. I think being able to talk about how your head was in the jaws of a bear. Not many people could tell that story. No. For sure. I wonder if he still eats fish. You know what I mean? If he's just like, oh, if if the smell of fish is like, you know, we were talking about smells earlier. Like if it triggers something. It just like triggers something in Mm -hmm. you. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it sounds like to him, he doesn't have that kind of personality Yeah, to get scared. He just seems super cool. Yeah. He just seems like that happened. Well, I'm happy he's okay. Mm -hmm. And I love the story. And I still love polar bears. I think a lot of us have seen the documentaries or watched it on Nat Geo with the human wildlife conflict where polar bears are digging in dumpsters. I mean, it's the same thing with most bear population, you know, when Mm -hmm. they come in contact with humans, but... Because they're scavengers. I don't know what the statistics are as far as people being killed or injured in polar bear attacks. Oh, you know, I didn't actually look that information up. I mostly was uh, interested in just this one particular story. I don't think it's very often. I know grizzlies, that's kind of an issue because they're a little more aggressive. But with polar bears, they're not like marking territory or being super aggressive. Um, They're more opportunistic. I just looked it up real quick. And it does say that polar bears, particularly starving adult males, will hunt humans for food. Oh, shit. Um, though attacks on humans by female bears are rare between 1870 and 2014, which is... That's a lot of time. That's a lot of time. Out of 73 recorded polar bear attacks, there were 20 human fatalities. So that's super low. That is really low. Real, that's, is real that lower low. than sharks? Yes. Yeah. It is. It is. Well, I don't think they had that much data. They say until now, only five fatal attacks on humans by bears has been recorded. Seems pretty rare. So I think that the one, I mean, of the real obvious thing that I would want to have with me in this case yes would be some sort of headgear because I feel like th- if they go for the head like that's how they get the seals right and they were going for his head if I were him and going back to that area I would sleep with some sort of helmet definitely and definitely maybe a, a helmet that triggered flares <laughs> you know like Something, you know, I'm imagining like, you know, like the hat with the beer holders with the straws, but it would be just like flares, flares. Yeah. And so you just had like a little button and then it's, or as soon as it got bit, the flares would just go go off. off. Yeah. I like it. I feel like that would be the ultimate polar bear protection. For sure. I didn't realize that they went for your head. It was unlucky that the polar bear went for Matt's head. I wonder if... Because it's not like the polar... I mean, I'm I mean, maybe, what if his feet were on that end? Would have just grabbed his feet? Right? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. And there was like a kind of joke comment made in the article about why the polar bear chose Matt. And they were like, oh, because he was snoring the loudest. That's oh, nice. So, you know, it's like, yeah, did the polar bear hear They could laugh about noise? it now. <laughs> I know. Oh, my God. Did the polar bear hear a noise coming from that end, which was like breathing? Did it know that it was Matt's head? Like, I want to know all those things. They have an amazing sense of smell. I you wonder what they, they ate. Tell, right? Oh, if they Jesus. ate fish or just something? Just a bunch of trout. Just salmon. Or if he had them. some like jerky salmon, or just like some, dried, like, like laying next to his head <laughs> in, his, in his tent. Or, or he had some like seal jerky. 
Sail jerky. Yeah, definitely. I definitely would get a flame throwing helmet. I like that flame throwing helmet. Yeah. I like it a lot. Yeah. That reminds me of when, you know, so every year there's like this international roller derby championship. Well, mm-hmm. not in COVID times, but before that. And they have these like ridiculous commercials where they talk about the best kind of helmets out there and they do these impact tests mm-hmm. where they drop the helmets from a certain height or like they use a certain amount of force on them and they're right. like, oh, our helmet is the best, you know. You would need like a bear impact test on your right? helmet. Like it's it's grizzly approved, but not polar bear. <laughs> right. <laughs> it would have to be how strong the bite or the jaws are. Yeah, yeah. And they would have like a little replica mm-hmm. of the jaws to to reenact the, the right. amount of pressure and right. everything. That would be the test. I love it. Let's start a prototype. Let's do it. I'll, hey, look, I'll put it together. I'll put it up on our merch site. We would have to use really <laughs> heavy duty flares, not like those ones that the Marathon de Saab gave out in 1993. Like the pen, the the pen, pen flares? Ones. Yeah. No, they no. Need be, they need to be like, you know, scarier. For sure. So I hope you had a great Memorial Weekend. Got outside and got some fresh air safely. Right. I hope you caught our bonus episode. Yeah. If you didn't, sign up for our Patreon. Become an official nature nerd. Yeah. We have many different levels. BS, MS, doctorate, postdoc, emeritus. Yeah. You can be any level and you get to hear the... uh, Dulcet tones. You get to hear an extra story a month, which is so fun. And listen to us anywhere you um, get podcasts. And until then... Don't die out there. Bye. Bye.